Welcome to the StarNet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. StarNet provides a variety of opportunities for personal and professional growth for those who touch the lives of young children, ages birth through eight, with an emphasis on children with special needs. StarNet supports family-centered research and effective practices in early childhood education and care. To find out more about StarNet, please visit StarNet.org. Hello and welcome. My name is Emily Riley, and I'm the Assistant Project Director for StarNet Regions 1 and 3, and the host for our podcast series on developmentally appropriate practices. In this series, we explore the recently revised DAP position statement and how it informs the work of early childhood professionals in Illinois. Today, I'm talking with one of my fellow colleagues, Becky Handler. Um, She is an early childhood resource specialist as well as a former speech language pathologist. So I am very excited to hear her perspective and bringing in the related service um, kind of lens today as we think about DAP. So welcome, Becky. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. Hey, so before we start jumping into DAP and your perspective um, as a former speech and language pathologist, do you just want to go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself and your experience in early childhood? Yes, sure. Um, Starting with, um, I got my undergraduate degree in Syracuse, uh, Syracuse, New York, and then I went to Emerson in Boston. And several of my professors really focused on providing therapy in the classroom. So when I graduated, that was already in my mind. Um, And my first job was for a special ed co-op in the South suburbs of Illinois. And I team taught with another speech pathologist, um, children kindergarten age level with severe speech and language disorders. So I really did not have that experience of the speech pathologist not being in the classroom. I was trained and then my first job was really right in the classroom actually being a teacher. After that, I did some work um, with inclusion, helping some children go back to their districts. I then worked specifically with a district as their inclusion facilitator. And then I've been with StarNet um, for 24 years. So that's kind of my background, um, where it all began. All right. Well, it sounds like yeah, in inclusion and providing authentic, natural opportunities for children to learn has always been a big part of your uh, philosophy and value system as a professional. Yes. All right. Well, I um, again, as I mentioned, I'm just curious to hear kind of from the related service side, um, the value, how you see the value of developmentally appropriate practice. Because um, from my perspective and experience, I've kind of noticed um, that DAP tends to be something that early childhood educators and classroom teachers, you know, get trained in in their coursework, administrators, if you're um, working specifically in early childhood, um, oftentimes become very familiar with DAP, but maybe not so much um, in the related service like provider training. Maybe that's not as much as as a focus, um, since they're really thinking about the national organization and those requirements and focusing on those IEP guidelines. So I'm, I'm just wondering, yeah, kind of, I guess if that's been your experience and, and if you can speak to the value of, um, related service providers, speech language pathologists, um, being knowledgeable of DAP. Yeah, sure. I think it's really, really important. And if we're really going to, you know, people talk about the 
pendulum of inclusion. But if we're really going to be blending children and including children, um, our therapy needs to be in the classroom and we need to be doing what the teacher's doing. Um, and I think if uh, we really need to remember as related service providers, what's the goal of providing therapy in a school? And it's different than providing therapy in a clinic. Providing therapy in a school is to help that child be more successful in their classroom and the school community. So I need to, and I should be doing what the teacher's doing, following the guidelines of where the teacher's going. What part of that day is that child with the speech or language disorder not being successful? Where do they need their help? And if I did provide developmentally appropriate practices, just like hopefully the early childhood teacher is, then I'm just able to provide that much more success for a child. So I think it really does speak to related service professionals. And I hope that they listen to this podcast and see that it is relevant. And I think that NACI really did a good job with this position statement. I think it's very readable. Um, yes, there is the big revised book, but if you just take the time and read through the position statement, I really think you can see how this is very um, pertinent to related service providers. Yeah. So I'm wondering, it sounds like you mentioned the big book, right? So you probably <laughs> maybe have a copy of that or have started to look through that a little bit. So um, are there any particular principles or guidelines that stood out to you as you read through the position statement or the, the recently published um, book? Yeah. Again, as I said, as I started to look through both, because I did just get the book, taking on more of an eye as a speech pathologist, it was hard to separate it because if I'm an early childhood provider, if my caseload is early childhood students, then it's all very pertinent to me. But I do think when I looked at the beginning of the position statement, they talk about the three core considerations. And I really think that that's really important for speech pathologists to take a look at. And it's maybe something that we've sort of overlooked. And again, these, these core considerations weren't you know, is well spoken about. But the first one, they talk about commonality and they say all learning's embedded and affected by social and cultural context. So yes, as speech pathologists, just like teachers are being more aware of looking at children's different social identities and the context that they come from and their cultural context, as a speech pathologist, if I'm going to be providing services, I too have to be more aware of that. I have to know about children's cultural, their differences, their similarities. Um, we need to understand commonalities, but also look at the uniqueness of each child. And by knowing that, how am I going to frame my therapy? Um, so am I embedding their cultural things that are familiar to them into my therapy, for example? Or is there something in their culture that I need to know about? Um, and then really, it, one thing that's kind of important within this and the embedding learning, we need to remember that a child doesn't have a language delay in English unless they have that language delay in their native language. So just because English is my second language, and I may be not at the same level as other children, unless I have a delay in my regular language, in my native language, I don't have a delay necessarily in English. Um, the second core consideration was individuality, and it's important that the teachers share 
any information that they get about the students' families. Um, like if a teacher sends out a survey at the beginning of the year, I know that when I worked, um, even when I was working with including children, I'm not sure that information was really shared with the related service providers. The teacher used that to set up her class and to get to know the families. But we really have to look at children. The, the DAP position statement says we need to look at children individually as part of a family and as part of a community. And again, why isn't that important for related services providers to be looking at that also? If I'm going to give the child the best guidance, the best support that I can give, I better understand that child as a member of their community, as a member of their family. Um, and I, I think back to one of my very first IEP meetings, uh, parents came in and they were from Africa. They had been here for a while. So English, it wasn't that English was a barrier, but the father did not look at me the whole meeting. And the mother nodded her head and the father would not look at me, wouldn't look at me. And I, of course, walked out of that meeting offended. And, you know, why wouldn't he look at me? I kind of thought he thought I was a young lady that maybe didn't know much. But really, that was part of the culture that you didn't look in the eyes of a woman that wasn't your wife. And I did not find that out until like my spring IEP meeting. So it made me form this opinion that was not necessary had I known some of this stuff in the year. And maybe the teacher knew that, but just didn't share it with me. So um, I think also when you know those, you know, how a child fits into their community, their culture, their, their family, you can better plan your goals and your therapy. So it's more meaningful to the child. Um, and then finally, the third consideration is the context. And they say, in order to best serve the students in our caseload, it's important to fully understand the implication of each student's experiences and social identities. So we need to know the whole child. Um, and, and then we also need to look at, you know, what experiences have, has a child have or what experiences have we had, you know, and not be, we need to watch our biases within that. Um, we need to make sure that it doesn't reflect on our service delivery. So I think that those three core considerations are really important to service delivery. Um, you know, you could um, hit some walls or develop some biases because of knowledge that you don't know, maybe. And if this information was shared and if you knew more about what you should be looking at, maybe that wouldn't happen. Yeah, and it sounds like, Becky, you know, all of those core considerations could help related service providers then just really provide more meaningful um, opportunities with the therapy and just increase opportunities for success, right? I mean, that's what it's all about, right? We want to help the child be successful, help them access the curriculum and be successful throughout the day. Um, and just having that knowledge of the individual child and family, and it seems like, yeah, that's the way to really enhance um, success and opportunities for young children. Exactly, exactly. Like, you know, I kept going back. If if speech pathologists specifically were aware of this position statement, I think it would really make them think about their service delivery, the materials they're picking, um, you know, what they want to focus on. Again, as I said, like, I need to make that kid successful in school, not in my therapy room, 
I need to make that child successful in their class. And every little piece of knowledge that we have or are aware of will just make that child more, set that child up to be more successful. Absolutely. And it sounds like a key piece of that too might be um, collaboration and teaming, right? So maybe maybe some related service professionals might be doing things in isolation. If they're pulling children out, there might not be as much collaboration and communication about those day-to-day interest and motivations of children that can help make that therapy meaningful. And so, yeah, if you're right in the classroom, you see that, right. You observe that you, you learn more about probably some of the interest um, just throughout their natural um, occurring like routines and activities. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. All right. So how do we get people, how do we get related service professionals then to know more about DAP? That is the question. What is, what's our role? (laughs) Well, I I think our role is, and I do see this just with StarNet as we provide, you know, technical assistance to schools. I'm happy to see that the speech pathologists are included in these trainings. So it's not separate, you know, it shouldn't be like, should I invite the speech pathologist to this training? Yes, the, the speech pathologist needs to be hear everything really that the classroom teacher is is hearing, even to their assessment system. You know, we talk about how the teacher, the related service can help the, the teacher collect assessment data, but we shouldn't separate them because again, and I always go back to what is the purpose of, of related ther- services in the school? And the real purpose is to make that kid successful. So the more that the, you know, we can have that transdisciplinary teaming and the teacher and the related services are all working together, there's more opportunities for that child to be successful. And the in the related services, I hope after they listen to if a speech pathologist listens to this podcast, that they'll be motivated to go to NACI and read the position statement. And really I read it over several times preparing for this podcast. And I kept saying, like, there's nothing I really can pull out. Like everything really applies to anybody that is working with a child in early childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like, there's so much in there and it just, I think takes time. That's the other piece. I feel like, you know, people really have to have a commitment to DAP and understand that it's like, it's your lens. It's a framework. You're reflecting all the time, you know, it's not like a step one, step two, step three, like right. that is not what DAP is about, right? Because you're all always taking into account the social and cultural context. So things vary, you know, from classroom to classroom, even if you're in the same program, because you're, you know, individualizing for, for the children in that particular classroom. So. Right. And I like how you said like that, that really hit me reflecting, it's constant reflecting. So DAP, and I think even like when I first started working with StarNet, I remember that the DAP book was on the bookshelf and like, it shouldn't be on the bookshelf. Like the new one is now on my desk because it is a constant reflecting. So it's almost like if I go to deliver therapy in a student's room and something happens or I feel frustrated or there was something culturally that I was unaware of, like open the book and kind of reflect what does NACI say about that? You know, how can we make it? And just go back to what it is. It's developmentally appropriate practices. So it's our practices. And again, it doesn't matter if the child's included or not included, self-contained, hopefully they're blended. It's what's appropriate for that 
developmentally what's appropriate for that child. So that's why it's a document that's relevant for all providers to early childhood kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you don't mind, one of the things that has stood out to me, I keep going back to a lot um, in my own work is the individuality core consideration. So you brought up those, those three con- core considerations. Um, and within that, you know, there's um, information just that educators, you know, should be able to um, kind of individualize and differentiate for, for young children. So it seems like, you know, the, the related service professionals should be able to kind of build upon that and also support the educators in, in that, because I feel like um, some of the educators I've supported feel like they might not always be, oh, I'm not trained to like work with young children that have disabilities. But if you kind of broaden your lens and use the core considerations, it, it just seems like, well, it's, you're really individualizing, but then collaborating with the service providers to really maximize those, those opportunities. So yeah, and I I I agree with that because I hear that a lot. And if this if and I just because I'm a speech pathologist, if the speech pathologist is in the classroom, the speech pathologist is going to model something for a child, and the teacher is there to observe it, as opposed to a little post-it note saying, you know, tell the child to raise his tongue to the top of his mouth, you know. Um, but if I can see a teacher doing it. Or if I can then practice while the speech pathologist is there, it's just more opportunities. And I talk about that really the child ends up getting more minutes than really is on the IEP because, you know, we haven't even talked about the teaching assistant. And again, that's that role release. I have to be okay as a speech pathologist. If I demonstrate to the teacher and the teacher observes me, there's no reason why the teacher can't provide that support or individualization that the student needs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it sounds like there's some kind of like real time professional development almost happening, you know, with the team between the general educator right. and the service provider. So, um, yeah, excellent. Well, we are going to be wrapping up our time together for this episode. So any final thoughts, Becky, like anything you want to just um, you really want uh, educators and professionals to hear um, about DAP? I think just just to read it. And also, you know, there's these nine principles that they talk about in the position statement. And again, so many of those principles are just so relevant to what we're doing. Um, You know, one of them, which I love is to promote joyful learning through our play. And right, as a speech pathologist, I'm playing games. I'm always, it's fun to be with the speech pathologist. But if I cannot interrupt that child from their joyful play that they're doing in the classroom, because our classrooms are set up for play, then think about, again, how I can just integrate my services into while the child is playing. And maybe that little file folder game that you have to work on S's, how could you do that in the classroom while the child is playing joyfully with their other peers and developing so many other skills? So, um I think that, that that really spoke to me. And um, just again, that if I am doing my service delivery in the classroom, and it doesn't just have to be during center's time, there's many times that my objectives can be met. But if I am providing developmentally appropriate practices, 
again, I'm going to help that child just be more successful in that early childhood classroom. I think right. that's my, my yeah. main points. So I think um, what you said there just reminded me of kind of that importance too, of because you mentioned it's not just during playtime, right, where I can support and embed um, some of these skills or embed opportunities for children to work on the skills that are in their IEP. Um, reminds me of the importance of writing those functional goals and making sure that right. they're functional in the IEP. I think yes. I just did a webinar on embedded learning opportunities. So I think that was <laughs> forefront in my mind with that whole piece. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think I just would end with start with just going to NACI and print out, print it out, print out the position statement and just read it over highlight it exactly (laughs) and read it as a speech pathologist and just say how does this apply to me and you will see that that document really applies to you and should be a working document for all related services as much as the teachers excellent well thank you so much becky i appreciate your time today and your perspective and um yeah i hope we have some related service professionals listening in today Um, If anyone is listening in and you had questions or comments, feel free to email Starnet. We are happy to provide support and how you can implement developmentally appropriate practice and and what that looks like. So please reach out to your local Starnet region. Um, Or if you are passionate about DAP and you'd like to have a conversation with us, um, reach out and we can connect. So thank you all. Um, Thanks for listening. And I hope you consider joining in on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to starnet at wiu.edu or submit a request using the Make a Request button on our homepage.